Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast presented by Harry Eid, Sam Sage and me, Ben Hocking. We've got the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix coming up this weekend, the penultimate race in the season. So, of course, this is our penultimate preview podcast of the season. Um, but a slightly somber tone to start this podcast because it is the first one we've done, the first episode we've done since the unfortunate passing of Frank Williams, an absolute titan within the sport. Uh, I know he he meant a lot and his team still does mean a lot to all three of us, but um, still, nonetheless, uh, some sad news, right, Sam? Oh, awful. Absolutely devastating. I heard. almost a bit shocked at it, actually. Um, the man was such an inspiration and he achieved so much. Um, even after, obviously, the, the accident that he had, which, of course, left him wheelchair-bound, and he was so brilliant, um, so incredibly sad to see him no longer with us here and able to experience the sport that we all love and to see what he built, uh, you know, carry on going around the track. So, yeah, really, really gutted that he's he's not experienced this. Yeah, um, echo what Sam said. And, you know, it's the, it's well, very sad to lose the man, but also sad to lose, you know, the, the, the last name on the grid. I know we're not losing the Williams name, but, you know, they're the last team. They were the last team with their, with their owner so to speak, or well, their founder was, st- was still around. You know, we've got McLaren, Ferrari, but their founders aren't around anymore. So, um, yeah, it's a sad day. I guess some solace in the fact that, and I know it's not that uh, good, but some solace in the fact that he saw his car on the podium again one more time this year. I know it wasn't the best race in the world, but it counts apparently. So, um, yeah, it's very sad news. And we're going to talk more more on Sir Frank later on. But, um yeah, sad to sad to see him go. Yeah, um, we will indeed talk about that more a little bit later on. And um, 
yeah, you're, you're right to bring up the Belgian Grand Prix because I think I said something at the time which was probably along the lines of the Belgian Grand Prix was good for nothing, but um, we found one good thing um, as to why it existed. So good news there. Um, and of course, our thoughts go out to the entire Williams family. Um, like Harry said, we will talk about that a little bit later on, uh, as well as Sam having an F1 back and forth game for, for me and Harry. So this is your your chance that you get every few months or so where I get to prove that I am just as big of an idiot as these two. Just because I ask the questions usually does not mean I know the answers. That is for certain. And you'll find that out very soon. But we'll start with the Grand Prix taking place in Saudi Arabia this weekend. Jeddah, of course, the host for this one. Just two rounds to go. Um, We got there, we think, at least in terms of a circuit. So one green tick next to the Grand Prix's name. It'd be good to fill a few more green ticks before the weekend is over. Sam, Max Verstappen is coming off the back of two races where Lewis Hamilton has taken victory. A lot of suggestion going into this weekend that this track might well suit Mercedes. So if you're Max Verstappen, what do you do to, to stop this momentum that they've got? How do you counteract it? Well, Verstappen has got it all to do, hasn't he? We, we've talked so many times on this podcast about you know mitigating these, these differences, these difficulties you've got to come up against. And this is another one, a brand new track in Jeddah, one that we've never been to before and one that, for all we know, might not actually even be finished in time for the race come this weekend. There's still a lot of videos going around about whether it may or may not be actually complete. But let's say it is at sea or arrive there on time and the guys are able to go racing, which we hope we can. Um, you're right, Ben, in the sense that people are saying this is a Mercedes-focused track. It's because for 79% of the lap, you're on full throttle. 79%, that's the like, that's similar to the likes of Silverstone, to the likes of Spa. It's as thin as the castle section in Baku in certain parts of Monaco, but it's got the speed of, of Monza. It's got the speed of the back, straight, the, the, the back straight of Baku, which is absolutely terrifying. So you want to make sure you're out front for Verstappen to mitigate these circumstances, to stop that momentum that Lewis Hamilton has picked up. He's got to hope that he locks out the front row of the grid with Hamilton, as they've already done seven times since the uh, American Grand Prix, since the USGP down in Cota. And uh, I think that makes it over 30% of Grand Prix this season, which is pretty crazy between two separate teams. And he's got to hope then that he gets a great launch off the grid. Now, what we saw in Qatar is something I imagine we're going to see very much so here in Jeddah in the sense that the track hasn't been raced on. It had no support races either. I know we've got F2 here, but it's still not going to exactly be embedded in. So that means that the racing line, which is usually where pole position sits, is going to be the grippier line. Now, if Verstappen does qualify in second place, it's going to be incredibly tough for him to get off the line faster than Lewis Hamilton, who we'd assume is the car that sticks it on pole. Let's not count out uh, Valtteri Bottas, of course, who is uh, contract happy over at Alpha. Looks to be a bit more relaxed and is having a good time. But um, you, can, you can't see this one really going any other way other than Hamilton and Verstappen. So for me, Verstappen has to get the ultimate start. He has to get the jump on Hamilton right when the lights go green. When it's lights out and away we go, Max Verstappen needs to lead into turn one and hope that Hamilton gets swamped. Hope that the track is thin enough that actually overtaking is harder than expected. Hope that the DRS or the Mercedes engine isn't as, pull, as, as, as strong a pull as we think. Unfortunately for Verstappen, it feels like the word hope is coming up a lot and not actually what he can factually do on the racetrack. If both cars are equal, I feel like Hamilton with the momentum, Hamilton with that that engine power is going to be very, very strong round here. It does look like a Mercedes-focused track. I think Verstappen has to get it done right at the very start. Otherwise, 
I don't think it comes down to Verstappen. I think it comes down to those Red Bull strategists who, for the most part across the whole season, have been pretty flawless. Just like Verstappen, I have to argue, have been absolutely brilliant at calling decisions when under pressure and making Mercedes falter when it comes to those pit stop moments. We've seen it across the season. Uh, France being a big one, right? Mercedes threw away that victory because they didn't call the undercut properly. They lost the chance to take the victory. The same could happen here, but if Hamilton is as far ahead as he was in Qatar... It's going to be a very, very tough battle. And for morale reasons, this is going to be really damaging for Verstappen going into Abu Dhabi. Otherwise, it's a, you know, it's an incredibly thin track. You hope maybe for some damage for a safety car. I think he's going to have to hope that it's a bit of a wild one for any chance of actually taking this away from the Saints with that supreme engine power. Harry, can Verstappen do anything other than what he's been doing all year? I mean, that's that was kind of be, going to be my point. I don't think there is anything more Verstappen can do because I think if we look back at his year, you know, I I and I've we've I've said this already. I think there's only a, you can count on one hand hit mistakes. I think, arguably, maybe the Brazil move mistake, um, the not slowing down for yellow flags mistake, and then before that, I'm a struggling. He crashed in Baku practice, I think, but I mean, it, you know. That that don't really matter too much. So I think my point is he, he can't do much more. But I, I'm with I'm with Sam. I think if it's a straight fight uh, on paper, it looks like Mercedes are going to be the quicker car this weekend just because of how much of that it's seventy nine percent flat out, which is yeah Monza is seventy yeah. percent flat out. That is terrifying because it's just all walls walls everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, on paper, I think it looks like a Mercedes circuit. That being said, um, it it does give off some Baku vibes, and you know, Baku does throw up some weird races. You know, Sergio Perez won this year from from Vettel and Gasly. Um, so you know, it's not ruling Verstappen out. I just think on pure pace, it's going to be a difficult one. But that being said, and especially this year where we've seen so much drama on and off the track um i think it, it's it's unwise to to rule verstappen out from winning or beating hamilton because i think there are so many variables that can be thrown in here um but in terms of what can he do i think he just has to keep being as consistent as he has been and and i think that's you know in fairness to red bull and and verstappen it's it's kind of what they've been doing even over these past few races when they haven't had the car they've just been maximizing what they've got to pick up the maximum amount of points that they probably could so because i think even without the penalty in qatar i think hamilton probably still wins that race um so i think that's all they can do and they just gotta hope for some maybe some divine invite i almost said invitation intervention uh divine intervention and and hope for some craziness around the most terrifying racetrack in the world i think yeah, I think overall, actually, Max Verstappen and Red Bull have done a really good job since the summer break, I would say, in terms of the number of races where they haven't been the fastest team and they've still been able to do OK. I mean, you've got Mexico in the US where Red Bull had an advantage, but that might be it in terms of what we've had since the summer break. They did a very good job in the in in the few races just after where... And maybe some of it was luck in terms of the Belgian Grand Prix. But there were some racetracks there where you would fancy Mercedes, where they couldn't really capitalise. You had the second place that Verstappen got in Russia. And now we've got to a point where Mercedes still have the advantage, 
but they don't hold the championship lead, at least in terms of the drivers' championship. They do hold a slight advantage in the constructors. I agree with what you said in terms of Verstappen can only do what he's been doing so fantastically well all year. With 20 races into this season, and how, yeah, you could pick out all the mistakes he's made on one hand, and I don't think you'd need to use all your fingers, even if you're from X, insert the name where you want to insult, you know, whatever place of the country you want to choose, you can insult them in that gap. But I think you would probably look at the Bahrain incident. That is, for me, probably the only one where I can say, okay, he he lost the lead because of his own doing there. The only other ones, really, I would say Imola qualifying didn't end up mattering. Baku practice didn't end up mattering. Italy is debatable based on your view of the incident. If you take the stewards' view, you would say yes, it was an it was an error from Verstappen and he was at fault. I don't share that view, so I wouldn't say it was a mistake. But yeah, I think Verstappen can only do what what is capable of what the car is capable of underneath him. And if that's second place, then so be it. He still probably holds the championship lead going into the final race of the season. And who knows what happens at that point. We mentioned this on the last podcast in that Verstappen has control because of the lead. Even if he doesn't have the fastest car, he dictates any wheel-to-wheel action. He dictates risk. He's the guy in control. If you want to go side-by-side at Jeddah, 79% full throttle, walls all over the place. Hamilton, if you want to go side by side with me, feel free. Because if we both crash, Verstappen's the one who does all right out of it. If Hamilton gets involved in a crash with Verstappen and Hamilton's out of the equation, Verstappen can win the championship with a race to go. Hamilton cannot afford the risks of side by side racing in the same way that Max Verstappen can. And as we know after Brazil, we know that Max Verstappen, if he is on the inside of a corner defending... He can, if he wants to, put Hamilton in the wall, and that is perfectly legal. <laughs> Good one, stewards. I say that in slight jest. But also, precedent. It counts. Um, yeah, so overall, Verstappen just needs to do whatever the car's capable of. I've seen some people say that this should be a Mercedes 1-2 based on the circuit, based on it being 79% full throttle. Call me sceptical. Call me sceptical, but there's a reason that we've had 20 races up until this point, and in none of them have there been a 1-2 situation. There there has not been one race, and this sounds really weird because we're very much used to it at this point from Mercedes' perspective. All year, we have not had a 1-2 finish for Mercedes. It's astounding. So, call me sceptical, but I don't think it's going to start today. Oh, sorry, I don't think it's going to start this weekend. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. In terms of the track itself, we've already somewhat discussed this. Sam, what are your thoughts on the circuit and how it's came to be? Because it's certainly unconventional how we've reached this point. I mean, if I were to put it down to a one-liner, it's like someone created a racetrack inside of Takeshi's Castle. That is quite literally what it feels like, right? There is obstacles everywhere. Every time you go around the corner, there's a, a surprise. You don't know what's going to come round at you. Um, I've seen the sim laps. I've done a few laps on the F1 game myself. And if you... Cheeky plug. If you go over to our YouTube channel, I did a analytical video of the track itself. It was a while ago now, but it's still relevant. People still seem to go watch it. Give it a watch as well. The track is terrifying. 
There are not many overtaking points. I would argue the final sector is probably the best point. There's also the banked uh, long left-hander, which is probably halfway through the track. I don't know what turn it is. T- turn 11 or 12, maybe turn 10. Uh, very similar to the banking in Zangvort. Not as crazy, not as uh, steep, but it's still applicable. I think maybe you can go around the outside if you've got good enough momentum and get back on the throttle and you're not squeezed because there's a wall on the other side of it. Um, honestly, I think if you make any mistake here, any mistake here, you will be punished horribly. It's no Cota, you know, it's no it's no uh, Paul Ricard, you know, where you can run off and if you continue driving, you won't hit anything until you go into Belgium. Honestly, you make one slight twinge of an error against another car on your own. I reckon we're going to see some serious DNFs um, come this come this weekend. I think we're going to have some problems and I don't think the track is looking like it's going to be in a, a, a tip-top shape either to, to manage that. So it's going to be very interesting. With what? It's what we record this. It's 28, 22-8 on, a, on Wednesday evening. Um, practice is in less than 48 hours' time. Um, I don't know if they're going to get the green light to go ahead. Also, I thought legally the FIA had to approve something six months in advance before something was allowed to be raced on. They still haven't approved it with 48 hours to go. Not sure how those rules are getting sorted. Regardless, um, this is all a bit odd, isn't it? It's all a bit crazy. Uh, It's exciting. Very interesting. But not too sure if it should be going ahead with the lack of safety protocol that's been put behind it. Um, I mean, if you're a street circuit, you need... 120 days before the race to do the check the FIA needs to do the check so I think they just about missed out on that it will take a couple of days hopefully they're alert though because you need to be an alert on a street circuit just Julian thanks Julian I mean speaking of this event we know a few things about Harry what he likes what he doesn't like and there are two things he loves more than anything else Jacques Villeneuve and the true. Korean Grand Prix at Yongnam. So and true. The reason I mention Yongnam is because it's starting to feel a little bit like that. Would you agree? Yeah, a little tiny bit. I mean, that still went ahead, so I it guess did. it'll be it'll be okay. But they were um, they were still building bits of it. I'm going to say bits. To during qualifying. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> they weren't, uh... Building the track as he's going round. Like, it was yeah. quite literally a roadwork, so one half of the grid that you had to go around. Temporary yeah. traffic lights. And like It rained a lot, and then it was really muddy, wasn't it? And and off the circuit, that is. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's given, giving those sort of vibes. I guess what worries me is, is just how fast this one is. I mean, as a rule of thumb, if a game... It's a bit scary on a PlayStation when you know if a track is a bit scary on a PlayStation or Xbox or PC. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. true. Other 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 platforms are available, but you suck if you try them. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> no jokes, guys. Um, yeah, if it is scary on a racing game on the you know the official F1 game, then I think it's a bit scary in real life. I think the drivers will love it. But um, yeah, I'm just I'm just a ton of bit worried about how last minute this is and how fast they're going to be going, and I don't want it to be shoddy. And I, I, you know, I still have trust in the FIA. I know there's some there's some stewarding issues, but I, for the most part, I think I still have a fair amount of trust in them to to make sure a track is is safe enough to be to be run on. But um, it's not it's not hugely encouraging going into the weekend, is it? Um, 
we've seen, you know, only a couple of days ago was the anniversary of Grosjean's massive accident in Bahrain, and we can, you know, it shows how quickly it can go wrong. It just you don't want that sort of thing to happen here, obviously. But hopefully, fingers crossed, it will be fine, and maybe it will be a belting racetrack. Um, I'm just, I'm going to be watching behind a pillow. I think. Yeah, I would say there's a reason they've implemented a rule which means that they have to check the racetrack 120 days before they go racing. They haven't just put that in there for the sake of it. So if they don't adhere to it, what's the point in having it in the first place? And if it is an issue of safety, and that's why they have it 120 days beforehand, it's incredibly worrying that, all joking aside, they haven't missed this by five days, they haven't missed this by 25 days, they've missed this by a lot more than that, which is a bit concerning um, as we go it's racing in a few days' time. Yeah, exactly. I, it's it, it's not great. Um, so, and have, God forbid if there was an incident this weekend, it isn't going to look great if it's down to the, the conditions of the circuit. Um, I think it's a basic requirement to ensure that a circuit is safe to go racing well in advance to ensure you know what to do in that intervening time to ensure a race goes ahead. Um, I think it's been a bit of a bit of a shambles, to be honest. And I would expect, well, I wouldn't, ex- I would want better preparation. I certainly wouldn't expect it. Um, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's a bit worrying. Uh, the track itself. I know that the fact that it's 79% full throttle definitely plays into it, but even if it was like Monaco 2.0, I'd still want those those safety requirements done well in advance. So um, hopefully the FIA do know what they're doing. It's not ideal. Not ideal. <laughs> not ideal. <laughs> oh, God. In terms of the risk of Red Bull versus Mercedes and which teams might be more willing to go for, I don't know, strategically, not questionable decisions, but try something a bit different. Sam, do you think one team or the other might be more willing to go ahead with that kind of a plan? Uh, I think actually, despite being in the the lead of the Drivers' Championship, I think Red Bull will want to be more risky. I don't think they want to let the constructors slip. Whereas I think Mercedes are quite happy knowing that I think the constructors is a bit safer. Bottas, I think he will deliver. He'll be behind Hamilton, but I think he'll deliver. And Hamilton has just got the bit between his teeth. You know, he kind of, as a lot of people have been saying, they kind of awoke the beast with the disqualification in uh, Brazil. And he's never looked back since then. I think, actually, it will be Red Bull and the Perez side of the garage that are like, you need to be on it and we need to make sure you're at the, the sharp end of every single decision we make to make sure that we beat Bottas if we can. We make sure we try and get a 1-2 if it's possible at any given any given chance. I think that if... I think Red Bull value the championships more than Mercedes due to the fact that they've won them so many times. I'm not saying they don't value them, folks, before we misquote me and put it all over the internet and I'm shunned from the F1 world I've forever. i tweeted it. Don't worry about it. Oh, yeah. good. Career, career was case. over a long time ago, but now it's just been burnt. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Mercedes are wingers, right? Instinctively, they are wingers. And Red Bull used to be that team. They've, they've, they've done it, but they haven't done it for a long time now. And I think Red Bull are really desperate to take back that crown before we move into the, the new age, the new regulations. So, yeah, I think, I think Mercedes can play it safe. And if they get a 2-3, for example, constructors-wise, they're all right. 
In terms of the drivers, well, okay, they've given Hamilton what they can. If it's close, that's on Hamilton. But in terms of constructors, I think they're okay. So I actually think as a team, Red Bull will be more risky. I also think that Hamilton is quite willing to be risky. I think he's quite willing to push the limits. I think he's quite willing to push the boat out. And I think he's more than happy to get his elbows out to try and go past the scapper. I don't think he'll be shy. I know he'll be considerate. I know he'll be careful. But I do not think that if the opportunity comes, he'll back out of it any any way at all. He's got so much experience. I think that he'll be more than willing to use that experience to mitigate the risk that maybe a less experienced driver, let's say George Russell, was in this opportunity next year, um, may not necessarily be to, able to deliver under such intense pressure. So I think Red Bull will feel the need to make sure that they are delivering uh, where it counts this weekend. Yeah, I happen to agree with you on, I think Red Bull might be more strategically willing to give something a go. Um, and I think if you wanted either team in that position, you'd probably want it to be Red Bull, just based on the fact that, well, they've done it for the last seven years. You know, outside of 2021, where it's been incredibly competitive between the two years, that's how Red Bull have existed. They haven't had the pace of Mercedes. They've comfortably had the pace over the midfield. And that has forced them to get creative in previous years where they have tried a different starting tyre and in terms of qualifying in Q2 and going for one-stop strategies where two-stop might be the preferred option. So I, I don't think necessarily if they were to go ahead with risking something, I think they would be right at home with it. And I think they would be more inclined to do that with Sergio Perez. Obviously, Verstappen holds the championship lead, so there's no reason to... There's no reason to upset the apple cart on that. They know that because of how consistent he's been, he will likely be in the top two this weekend if all goes well. So there's no point jeopardising that. And as we've already mentioned, Verstappen can afford a second place. If he, if he finishes second place and the fastest lap goes to him as well, he holds the lead going into Abu Dhabi. I think he'd take that position, particularly if Mercedes are as strong as we think they might be at this circuit. And that's another reason why I don't think Mercedes will play it quite as strategically crazy as, as Red Bull might, because they've got more to lose at this stage. They would quite comfortably, as, as you've kind of already alluded to, Sam, I think they would quite comfortably stick them both on the same strategy, maximising their own race, not necessarily too concerned with what Red Bull are doing, because there's no reason for them to risk it. They've had the fastest car in the last few races and they hold the lead. They're not the ones that need to try something different. So I think Bottas and Hamilton will likely be on similar strategies, depending on what happens in qualifying, of course. We've seen quite a few occasions this year, actually, where Hamilton and Bottas have been on the same sort of one-stop strategy. Bottas has maybe stopped four or five laps later, but it hasn't been wildly different. I could, I could definitely see Verstappen sticking with that strategy and Perez going completely off-piste, trying something completely different. Because if they have the confidence that they, even if they're behind Mercedes, even if they have the confidence that they're ahead of everyone else, they have a bit more, they're probably going to be a bit more open to try something if they think fourth place is in the bag regardless. So I'm interested to see. I think they will both, for the most part, try and play it straight down the line. But if anyone deviates from it, I could see it being Perez. What do you reckon, Harry? Yep, uh, you've you've made all my points for me. Um, I think as long as Perez is in the fight, uh, it's he's the one they're gonna that's gonna be the, the you know placed on that alternate strategy. I don't see them necessarily doing it for Bottas unless he is out of position, um, uh, which you know I don't think will happen. But you never know. Um, I guess in 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 
in Qatar. He was on a different strategy there, but didn't pay off. And I guess Mercedes will have that in the back of their minds. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. what both of you said. I think it will be Checo, the one who's put on a different strategy. I mean, if, even if he's not in the fight, I'm sure they'll do that anyway to try and bring him into the fight. But, you know, I think they'll they'll just want to, you know, the disruptor, as we say all the time. The disruptor's back. <laughs> um, that's, that's all they want him for because, you know, they're behind, I know only by a point, but they're behind at the moment. If they can disrupt the progress of Hamilton and, and Bottas, it helps Verstappen, theoret- theoretically. And then, you know, it could also help their, their constructors' champ- uh, chances as well. So it, that's what I think they'll do. They'll just be as disruptive as possible using using Perez. But, um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. I hope they're not all dull and they don't just follow each other around for 50 laps. Could happen. Um, but I hope I hope not. I hope we get some spicy, spicy uh, strategy calls. As you know, we love a bold strategy. Uh, and as much as we love a bold strategy, we also love bold predictions. Oh, seamless. 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 Transition. Come on. <laughs> what have you got, Sam? Bold prediction. Uh, my bold prediction is that Max Verstappen will not finish on the podium. Now, that hasn't happened many times this year. <laughs> <laughs> no, it hasn't. Therefore, that is quite bold. Um, I like to think so. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this doesn't necessarily count for your bold prediction, but I'm assuming this is incident-based rather than pace-based. Uh, I'm, I'm an R-ing, and that's why I kind of, in my mind, I think out loud it sounds bold, but actually if you were to dissect it a little bit, if form were to ring true, looking at Monza and other such Grand Prix, uh, in terms of top speed and whatnot... I don't know. I think pace is going to be quite tricky for them. I hope they've got a very, very healthy power unit that can be ramped all the way up because otherwise, I do think they might struggle. So, I'm not going to declare what reason why, but um, let's just say I'm not ruling pace out of my prediction. Okay. Bold prediction from you, Harry. Um, My bold prediction revolves around uh, one Mr. Sebastian Vettel, um, who this year I'm naming the street circuit specialist. Uh, because all of his good, well apart from Hungary but doesn't really technically count but most of his good results have come at street circuits Baku he got a uh, P3 a P2 sorry and in Monaco he got P5 I think top 5 so my bold prediction is that I'm not going to say podium but my bold prediction is that Sebastian Vettel will finish in the top 5 P5 street circuit king Sebastian Vettel as he is now forever known <laughs> Um, my bold prediction so as we've already referenced a couple of times um, 79% full throttle this weekend there are walls all over the place none of these guys have ever raced there before no one has ever raced there before and DNFs are on the cards so I knew that's where this was going of the 20 drivers that start the Grand Prix we will end with 20 drivers Oh, nice. Oh, that, no God, that went so DNFs. the wrong way. I am predict- Boring. I am putting my faith in the F1 group, and I'm saying that you're better than people think you are. You'll all survive this task. You'll all be all right. 20 drivers will finish. We had a we had a Monaco GP with no safety car this year. so No yellow flag. No yellow flag. So, uh, 
It's uh, pfft, it could happen. It's twenty twenty one. Anything can happen. The yellow flag is the only thing that's interesting about Monaco, and that didn't happen. Yeah, but Lance Stroll, Stroll. Lance Stroll uh, bumped over a chicane. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> good for good for you, Lance. Uh, I'm still traumatised by that replay cam every time it comes up now. Stroll. Every time. <laughs> Stroll. <laughs> All right, poll yeah. one, two, three. We know Verstappen is not going to be featured, at least in the in the second half of this prediction, Sam. So what have you got here? Uh, I am going for a all-Mercedes-powered uh, podium. So pole. Hamilton will be on pole. <laughs> yeah, there will be multiple pole positions. Um, Hamilton will be on pole. Hamilton will win the race. Bottas will be second. And Lando Norris will be third. Lando, back on it. Guess who's back in the house? Lando Norris. In his new house, in yes. Monaco. Yeah, seamless again. Yeah. Seamless. It could take a, a little trophy to it. Harry. Let's get a seamless jingle going, guys. Seamless. <laughs> That's the Simpsons. <laughs> no, it's not. It's seamless. <laughs> Original content here. <laughs> Please don't sue us. Please. Please. We, we don't have the money. <laughs> take the podcast. <laughs> All of what we have I don't think they would value. take the pod. I don't think no. they would take it. <laughs> what have you got? What have you got, Harry? Uh, pole position: Lewis Hamilton. The win is going to Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Verstappen will be second, and Bottas will be third. More Bottas, uh, please. Uh, copy and paste Harry's answer. <laughs> oh, oh, command C, good. command V. Move yeah, on. Pretty Let's much. Go. Genuinely, yeah. Um, uh, I'm going for exactly other- the same. Other operating systems are available. Oh, Control-C and Control-V for you losers. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I was insulting every tech you've been Sorry. Harry's still got a BlackBerry, I think. Yeah, true. I, did, I didn't have a BlackBerry when they were the Rage. I had the Nokia uh, no, equivalent. I did have one, and I, I would put this podcast on BBM Broadcast. <laughs> I, knowing you, Sam, the fact you had a BlackBerry doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> I bought it myself I was old enough it was the first phone I bought with my own money oh nice nice yeah oh, well. move on from Got a, offer a car phone warehouse God. <laughs> we're giving a God, lot of this? weird brands and uh, yeah a lot of weird brands yeah. a shout out here yeah, um, yeah we'll do uh, we'll move on to what we kicked off the podcast with, which was the news that Sir Frank Williams passed away this weekend at the age of 79. So Williams, the team itself, not necessarily going through their best patch at the moment, but it can't be denied the success that they've had over the last few decades. They've been a household name in Formula One for such a long time now, really established name. Um, and obviously, as We've already mentioned to begin this podcast the the passing of Sir Frank is uh, quite a seismic one, so definitely worthy uh, of a topic here. Sam, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off, kick off this discussion, what Frank Williams meant to Formula One? You almost can't kick off a discussion about Sir Frank Williams, you know, what he was able to bring to the sport, the longevity, the legacy, the absolute, you know, He's an icon and he's a hero to so many. And we always talk about diversity in the sport as well. And Frank Williams, of course, an accident a long time ago, rendered him 
you know, unable to use a lot of his a lot of his body, and he had to spend a lot of his life in a in a wheelchair. He was wheelchair bound, and you know, I, it took me a long time to learn this. I, I didn't. I, I knew this obviously for some time, but I, it was a long time that I didn't know it. That he didn't have the use of you know his entire upper body as well as his legs. And every time that you would see him going about the paddock using his wheelchair by himself, he was he was doing it himself. He was winning it himself through sheer willpower. The man was pushing his own wheelchair, uh, but had no understanding of what his arms or hands were properly doing. He was doing it through sheer willpower and it was you know it's the it's the bravery and the the devotion and the determination of sir frank williams that you can see throughout his work everywhere in formula one in engineering with his family with the connections he made with sponsorships that he was able to bring on the drivers that he had at his disposal was absolutely phenomenal i mean legends that harry absolutely loves from jacques villeneuve of course all the way to people that harry absolutely hates like alan prost and Dr. Nigel Mansell. Um, you know, legendary names across the sport that have all been a part of Frank Williams' legacy. And um, you should look up to him. If you don't, if you don't know anything about Sir Frank and you haven't gone back and looked at the history of him and what he's achieved, um, I believe there's a documentary, actually. I don't know what uh, what streaming system it's on. Amazon, probably. Um, do go and give it a watch because it's it's phenomenal. His life is definitely one to, to know more about. Um, he was humble and brilliant and lovely, and he is what Formula One encapsulates: hardworking family man who wanted to just live a dream, and he did. Uh, and he's aspirational. I think it's, it's it's such a such a horrid shame that he's gone, but he also achieved so much brilliance that we can look back on. And I I do so with a lot of love because he was a massive part of my Formula One life growing up. So it's really really sad to to see him depart. Harry, I know Frank Williams was a massive part of your overall F1 journey as a fan as well. If you wouldn't mind expressing what he meant to Formula One and to you. Yeah, I mean, on that on that note, on the Williams documentary, definitely, if you can go and watch that, it's kind of flown, flown under the radar slightly with all, you know, Drive to Survive and stuff, because it was just before that. But um, definitely worth a watch. And it's very interesting because it's kind of an untold story there of his wife, Ginny, here where kind of had to pick up the pieces, so to speak, when he had his accident um, and was the driving force behind Williams, the F1 team, as much as he was. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, echo what Sam said. He he, he is he is one of the icons of F1. I mean, we've had a bit of a run of it at the moment with uh, losing F1. We had Murray Walker earlier in the year and, and it's Sir Frank Williams uh, only a few days ago. And I think, if I think back to when I first started watching F1, these are these are people as recognisable as some of the drivers, like as recognisable as Schumacher, as recognisable as as Hamilton is. So they are they are legends of the sport, and I think it's what is most impressive is is where Sir Frank came from in terms of he was uh, was it was he a vet like a greengrocer or something like that? Yeah, um, you know, and he had no money. At all, and the early years of Williams, and this has been no offence to Williams, were diabolical. Like they had no success whatsoever. But he just hung on in there, and this is the time when it was fairly, I say, cheap, but fairly easy to go racing. Um, he hung on, hung on in there, and I think that's his, you know, speaks volumes to his character, his tenacity to to not give up. Um, is incredible, and and that was shown again when he, when he had his horrible accident. So, um, yeah, is as I mentioned at the beginning, it's uh, it's sad to kind of see that he's the last of an era of 
of drive of um you know team team founders you know there aren't any of those left now all the teams are owned by corporations etc and i know williams handed over the keys only just last year but um yeah he was still still the last, the last one standing so to speak and again i think that speaks volumes again to to the tenacity of, of the character that was sir frank williams so um yeah as as i said it's a, it's a massive massive shame that he's he's no longer with us i pray for a good williams results weekend to 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 do him proud um yeah r i p sir frank i've always thought that if you were to ask me to pick someone who embodies what formula one should be i would be hard pressed to give an answer that isn't sir frank williams i really do believe that his story who he was encapsulates everything beautiful about formula one and particularly what formula one should be all about and it's been wonderful the last couple of days you know in the wake of his his death to actually have all of these stories that are coming out of sir frank all through the years all of these stories are coming out and they're also wonderful and actually one of the potentially saddening things right now but potentially a positive thing for the future is that his story is so inspirational and it should be told throughout the whole F1 community one of the saddening things is actually that the story of Sir Frank Williams could not happen today someone in his position could not achieve what Sir Frank has done today I think that's somewhat saddening but to put a positive slant on it, I hope that the the FIA, the powers that be, everyone within the Formula One industry actually looks at the death of Sir Frank Williams and, and suggests that there should be more like him. There should be more stories of, not necessarily rags to riches, but stories of having a dream and not much else and starting from that point on and going on to achieve greatness. It's not doable now in in the current context of Formula One. Maybe it won't ever quite be doable in the same way that Sir Frank was able to do back in the 60s and 70s. But perhaps we should actually look at this and think maybe, maybe we should promote a Formula One where that sort of thing can still happen even in today's modern age. You're right, all of your points are fantastic on what, what Frank Williams was, the, the qualities that he brought F1, the tenacity, the perseverance. It's all there on show, not only in terms of the championships the team won, but in terms of his personal conduct um, and the way in which, yes, he, he was still there years after some of the the people alongside him were there. It really does show what a great character he was. And ultimately, nowadays, when we look at Williams, they might be struggling now. But if you're looking back at Sir Frank Williams's career and actually Williams's career as a whole, as a team, you would immediately look at all of the championship success. All of those champions that you listed, Sam, Alan Prost, Nigel Mansell, Alan Jones, Keke Rosberg, Nelson Piquet. So many fantastic names that have raced for Williams and won championships for Williams. And they will all be rightly remembered. But more than anything, and I hope this doesn't go unmissed and I don't think it is going unmissed focus on that but also focus on how he even got to that point in the first place because not only is the success does not only does the success deserve a lot of admiration the journey to get to the success deserves admiration 
He set up Williams in the mid-60s, 1966. I think he, he did Formula 3, Formula 2 for a few years, like uh, getting some people through there. He bought out a chassis from Brabham in 1969, did the same thing with March in 1971. The results, as you've already referenced, were shambolic. The, the, there wasn't anything there to suggest that a championship team was lying in the waiting. Yet Frank Williams persisted. There was a time in the mid-70s where he didn't have the money to pay the telephone bill. He was he was working operations out of a phone box because he did not have his own telephone because of it had been cut off. That was about five years before his team won a championship. If that's not perseverance, if that's not tenacity, I don't know what is. Of course, success then came not too far around the corner, but the fact that he had to go through that to get to that point and he kept going in the face of adversity and every reason in the world telling him that he probably shouldn't achieve anything in Formula 1, he still pushed on straight ahead. He won titles from from 1980 through to 1997, uh, a, a really long, sustained period of success. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, he has a near-fatal incident. If he was to give up being a team manager at that point, it would have been firstly very understandable, and he would have done so as a success. At the time of his incident, he was already a he had already won championships with Alan Jones and Keke Rosberg. If he'd have decided to stop there, he would be looked at as a legend, full stop. The fact that his his team and his drivers won championships years, you know, not very far on from that incident is just testament to him. So, um, as you've both already already referenced, rest in peace to Sir Frank. I do believe he is perhaps the best symbol of what F1 should be and and what F what F1 has been. Um, and all you can say is just um, in this difficult time, all the best to uh, to Sir Frank's family. move on to our next segment which is looking at Max Verstappen and Kimi Raikkonen two drivers that haven't necessarily shared a lot of track this year Kimi Raikkonen has on most occasions been too fast for Max Verstappen um no I don't think that's the right way Sick around burn, is it? bro Ooh, um, got him so you might think there isn't much of a comparison point here but uh Jean Tot has made that comparison. He has said that the two are very alike in terms they are very straightforward and their characters are very similar. I was interested to know your thoughts on this. Sam, do you think that there are actually quite a few similarities between Kimi Raikkonen and Max Verstappen? It's not a comparison that in my mind I had ever made, I must admit. And then when you know this kind of came out, this quote came out, and then you brought it up as a topic to include on the podcast, I gave it some thought. And the more I think about it, the more I do see some similarities I wouldn't you know put them necessarily like for like but I could definitely see why a comparison has been made we all know that Kimi Raikkonen is famous for his you know no BS attitude doesn't want to deal with interviews just wants to do his racing get the best result he can go home thank you very much that's all I want um of course the difference between Max Verstappen and Kimi Raikkonen is his contract Max Verstappen's contract won't bankrupt the team he races for every time he scores a point um, Lotus. If you look at Kimi, <laughs> poor old Lotus. If you look at Kimi Raikkonen in his heyday, you know, in the kind of the two thousand and four five year era up to when he won his championship, the 
the drive and the resilience and the pure ridiculous levels of speed that Kimi Räikkönen had, um, you know, when he drove for McLaren and when he did his first kick for Ferrari, was incredible. Genuinely incredible. I don't rate Räikkönen in my top ten of all time, but if you were to look at that era of, of Kimi alone, I can see why people might put him in their top ten of all time because he was ruthless. He was absolutely fantastic. Um, and he just delivered results, sometimes when you wouldn't expect them. And I think Max Verstappen very much has done the same thing. He's graduated from a lower field team. He's rapidly moved up into being one of the best drivers the sport's ever seen. And has done it at such a young age. All with the personality outside of the car of, I'm good, leave me alone, don't need to be disturbed, I'm just going to get on with the job at hand. Um, and we hear the same kind of thing over the radio. Bit of silliness and joking on a very rare occasion. For the most part, it's give me the information I need and now leave me alone. I'm going to get on with it. Kimi Räikkönen is famed for all these things. And I think Max Verstappen is very much going through the same arc. Um, I believe that there is every chance that Verstappen will end up being more successful than what Kimi Räikkönen was. But in terms of their driving style at the start, in terms of their attitude, in terms of how they are outside of the car, I think the similarities are fair to make. And I, I was surprised actually when they were made. And I hadn't thought about it at all in any way. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's too outrageous to make this comparison between modern-day Max Verstappen and early-day Kimi Räikkönen. Can you see the link between them, Harry? Yeah, I, I can. And what I think is, I, I think that Verstappen is kind of like Räikkönen for, for, the, for, the, for the 2020s or for the 2010s, I guess, because when he started, but... He's like a slightly more modern, and I'm not trying to call Kimmy old here, but um, I mean he's old, he's ancient, but I'm not trying to call him <laughs> old. Um, but yeah, he's like a slightly more up-to-date Kimmy Räikkönen in the sense that he's, you know, he embraces social media a bit more. I know Kimmy's on Instagram, and everyone should follow him because it's gold. But um, you know, he's slightly more willing to talk to. Talks of the press, it, it, albeit he's still fairly straightforward. Um, both both immense speed at, at the same age, I guess. Um, so yeah, I can see the similarities. I just think that uh, for Sapin is a slightly updated version. I'm not trying to say he's like upgraded. But uh, I just think there's there's slightly more m- modernity in in Max Verstappen than the, than there is in Kimmy, and and maybe that will fade as it has with Kimmy over the years. I think Kimmy is probably more willing to talk to people when he first started. Now he literally doesn't even want to be there anymore. Um, so yeah, maybe that will come with Verstappen too. And we've already kind of seen hints of it, haven't we? With with Drive to Survive, and he doesn't want to do. He's not doing the uh, the talking head interviews this year. So maybe it is starting to creep in um, because. He he he's just a bit more straightforward than than other drivers are, but um, yeah, it's a it's a like Sam said, it's not a comparison I'd ever really thought of before, but once you start to voice it, you you can see some similarities for sure. Yeah, stylistically, I can definitely see the similarities between them. It actually made me think how how early in Kimi Räikkönen's career he was thrust into the limelight. You know, if you, if you think 2003, if Japan 2003 goes slightly different, he wins a championship in that year. Which, if you compare that to Max Verstappen's career, that would be the equivalent of Max Verstappen nearly winning the title in 2017, which, of course, is quite a few years ago. So it's, um, yeah, it, it kind of made me realise how early Kimi Raikkonen had those championship opportunities. 
But yeah, I think in terms of the way they approach the media, it's pretty similar. I think they are both straight talking. Um, I agree that Verstappen is almost a more modern version of Kimi Raikkonen, but with the same base qualities. Um, And it might be similar in terms of motivation as well, because um, Kimi Raikkonen is one of those guys where all of his best work happened before he became a champion. If you think of everything, if you think of Kimi Raikkonen's career, you'd always look at 03, 05, 07, the year he won the title, as his best years. But really, after he won the title in 07, then, you know, the, the great performances certainly tail off. And I, we'll only know in hindsight whether the, it will happen with Verstappen or not. I'm inclined to think it won't, but in recent interviews Max Verstappen has stated that he he wants to win a title but he's not necessarily concerned about whether it is two three four ten breaking records doesn't seem to appeal to him so it'd be interesting in hindsight when we look back at this is Max Verstappen's motivation going to be the same after winning the title if it is this year or if it's another year or is it just? Is it a facade? Is it actually he will be just as motivated to win a second and third and he's just not trying to let on? Who knows? But I can definitely see the comparison between the two. All right. F1 back and forth. Sam is presenting. God help us all. Do you want to... <laughs> let me out the cage! Do you want to Do you want to sing us in, Sam? Do it. F1, back and forth, it's F1, back and forth, it goes backwards, then goes forth, it's F1, back and forth, F1. I like the bit where it goes backwards. Really? Yeah. I'm not so keen on when it goes forth. (laughs) What about... The bit that just goes F1. It's, a, it's It gets to the point, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, Short and sweet. me. Anyway, yes, folks, they've let me out of the cage. My once in every three or four months that I'm allowed to run the show. It is F1 back and forth. Um, and of course, being me, I've decided to make it as confusing to explain the rule set for this one as possible. So please just bear in mind what's going on. Okay. So, we spend a lot of our time on the LB podcast looking at the front of the grid, right? The success, the, 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 the great storylines that have triumphed throughout the years. We are but sure. not this time. Yes, we, <laughs> we jump on those big, those big storylines. I hope that they carry us to glory. Thank you. Um, but not this time. No, folks, we are going to be looking at the very back of the grid. The names that maybe tailed off, the ones that didn't get the time they maybe deserved, and the ones that didn't share that success, that limelight. So, we are looking at, for F1 back and forth, the topic is, drivers to have never scored a point who have raced in seasons from the 2010 season to the modern day season. I want to just put a little ruling here, by the way. If they have scored a point previously before the 2010 season and then race from 2010 onwards they do not count as a correct answer because they've scored a point in their career okay so these are drivers who have never scored a point in their career who have raced in the 2020 2010 season and onwards i have got i've probably got them wrong i have got 16 answers down some of them i think are quite simple 
Some of them are not. Any questions before we proceed? Yes. Just clarify. And I think you just said this. So say they're a driver that raced in 2009 and scored a point, And then 2010 onwards, they didn't score a point. They count. They no, they don't, don't count. count. They don't count. No. So these so are drivers they... who have never, ever scored a point, regardless of where they are in their career, but they race in the 2010 onwards seasons. Got it. <laughs> okay. Are you sure? Are you sure? Yano Trilli's in the bin already. Anyway, move on. Yano Trilli is Sorry, never Yano. in the bin. <laughs> Take that He's in the train. <laughs> All right. Who would like to start? Ben, do you want to start as you usually don't get to? Oh, go on then. Um, I'll start with uh, the wildly successful Mick Schumacher. Oh, he's, he's nailed it. That is correct, folks. Yes, in the current year of Formula One, Mick Schumacher, of course. Mr. Reed. Um, Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> I, I was going to go for something a bit further back, but I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll get one on the board first before I start going bold. You got one more on the board than Mazepin has this season. Well done. Correct. Well, that was my objective, just one one. Um, well done, well done. I Thanks. will go with uh, everyone's favourite, everyone's favourite Indonesian driver, Rio Harianto. Rio Harianto is a correct answer. You know what? It's nice that we get to talk about Rio Harianto on the podcast. It really is. We don't get a lot of that uh, here. So, uh, yeah, correct. Ben, you've got two. It score is two to one. Harry. Um, great friend of the podcast. And he knows it, Karin Chandok. Oh, the man does know it and has featured. He also never scored a point. He's got more points here than he has in F1. Correct answer. <laughs> Karun Chandok is indeed very, very right. Uh, to all, Benjamin, over to you. Uh, most people think that Fernando Alonso is the best Spanish driver of all time. They are wrong. It is Roberto Merry. Roberto <laughs> Merry has scored so many points, they rounded it down to zero. That is indeed correct, Ben. Three, two. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Yeah, that, that, that got me, yeah. That's a Harry, your go. Um, I'm going to go for... Uh, Lucas Degrassi. Lucas Degrassi is correct. Well done. Well done indeed. Um, there is a rule that I meant to point out that I did, and don't worry, you haven't crossed oh, anything yet, so it's not. It wasn't relevant <laughs> up until this point. Um, I just want to state that they only need to have completed one Grand Prix or more. It's not a full season, by the way. Yeah. So, just so you're aware, for it might help you out. You never know. Well, I was operating on that assumption anyway, because I mean, Chandler didn't do a didn't do a full season person. There you go. Three all, three all. Benjamin, over to you. Um, let's go with Alex Rossi. Oh, Alex Rossi is correct. And you know what? His name was so long that I didn't bother writing the whole thing down. Oh, well yeah, done, Benjamin. Massively long name, Alex Rossi. Alex Rossi. <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit on the end of Alex I couldn't be bothered with, you know. Oh, sure. Just Alex. Yeah, just shortening it down. I don't write Samuel ever, so that works. Sure. Um, Harry, the score is 4-3. You've got a chance to tie. Um, quite possibly the grumpiest F1 driver there's ever been, Will Stevens. Oh, me and Will Stevens originate from the same place. And you know what? Guess how many points I've scored in F1? None. Guess how many he's scored in F1? None. Why are you both so grumpy this all the time? savage. Lighten I mean, up. I, I also spent a lot less money to do so, so well done me. 
I um, think actually you and Will Stevens look kind of similar. Do you think so? I need to, to wash my hair and have a beard trim. But yeah, all right, we'll do a comparison well, so one day. Steve, no. <laughs> Screw it. Maybe that's why it's miserable. I just want to have a shower. Um, <laughs> the score is four all. We are halfway through. You've got more than I actually thought you would. There's a few games already been called out, but I uh, wasn't expecting. Uh, Benjamin, over to you. Can you take the lead once again? Uh, banter guard. <laughs> oh, Geo Bantergaard is correct. And he brings all the banter to the back of the grid for one race only. That is 5 4. Harry, over to you. Um, the second slowest Chilton driver ever after his brother, uh, oh. Max Chilton. You insulted two people in one go. <laughs> I don't even need to do the banter myself. It's correct. Well done. <laughs> That is Chicken five. Match. Oh, hang on. Let's just see how many are left. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six answers remaining. Um, if you get them all, then what happens? It's a draw. It's happened it's a draw. We've, we've, we've yeah. drawed. Oh, before. yeah, that's true. Ben, it is your go, my friend. Okay. But, yeah, good English. Um, drawed? True. I'm hoping this is right, because I, I am a big fan of Charles Leclerc. However, he's not the best Charles to ever compete in F1. That would go to Charles Peake. Well, Ben, you know how to peak them, because that is indeed correct. Well done, sir. Charles Peake. Uh, yep, that is 6-5. Harry, you need to carry on, my friend. Um, I am starting to struggle a bit now. I won't lie. I'm trying to think, think of Rand every name in the world ready to go. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of random um, random stand-in drives and didn't score a point. But I can't think of any. Um... That's a nice noise for all the podcast listeners sorry, to, to sorry, listen to, folks. folks. Sorry. Um... Oh, God. Who else drove that terrible... Those terrible cars back in the early t- tens. Oh dear, I think I might be out of answers here, folks. Well, have a crack, son. I'm gonna say. <laughs> uh... No, I've literally got. I've got no answers left. I want to think of one that's even. Re- I can- I almost said one then, and I was like, well, no, he definitely scored a point. Oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear. No. Folks, if you ever are going through an existential crisis, this is what it sounds like. <laughs> I have to forfeit because I can't think of any more. Just chuck a name out there. Lewis. Well, no, because all the Lewis ones Hamilton. I know were definitely wrong. Lewis, go on, Lewis, go on. Give it a go. Give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I can't think of anyone else who drove those like a terrible like um, HRTs back in the day. Narain Carter Kayen? Unfortunately, Narain Kartikeyan scored in the US GP when he got like what fifth uh, or whatever it was. Yeah. So stupid yeah. like that. The sixth, sixth yeah. GP. That's the one. He did score points there and then. But I, when I originally made this list, I did think Kartikeyan was definitely on it. It was pretty much the first game I put down, and then went, "Oh no, wait, you got that one." Um, so that is victory for you, Ben. But Ben, there are names left on the board. Are you able to name any more of them? We've got five more left. Let me just do a couple count. One, two, three, four. We have five left. I've, I've got my got my pen and paper here. Um, I've got five names, but I'm, there's one I'm not very confident on. So, um, Jack Aitken. Correct. Jack Aitken oh. is there. 
Bloody fielding man. for Williams, of course, for one race in the uh, the Outer Loop Bahrain Grand Prix. Which might well give Harry the next one, um, Pietro Fittipaldi. Correct, Pietro Fittipaldi fielding at Haas for the same Grand Prix. Um, Andre Lotterer. Andre Lotterer, you like to loiter about at the back of the grid. And uh, you are correct, sir. You have two remaining. These are the ones I'm not quite as sure on. I think I'm trying to think of terrible sort of beginning of 2010s like Harry was. Uh, and I can't quite remember <laughs> his first name. Um, Yamamoto. Oh, Sakon Yamamoto is correct. That is a correct score. You've got one remaining before you polish off the board. This one I'm not so sure on. I can't remember if he scored a point or not. Jerome D'Ambrosio. Jerome D'Ambrosio is... The final correct answer. He has nailed it Boom. there, folks. He's not just a stat man for any old reason, folks. Well done. That was quite incredible. I'm going to keep score of the count, but then you wipe the floor with Mr. Reed. Harry, you did get some points, though, so that's more than all these drivers. <laughs> you did get some points. Anyway, let's play that theme tune, shall we? Go on, Sam. F1. Back and forth. It's F1. Back and forth, it goes backwards. Then goes forth, it's F1. Back and forth, F1. Did you know that's actually Sam on the drums? It is. Yeah, I'm playing the uh, little backing beat there as well. <laughs> Honestly, you... call me the Phil Collins of podcasts. Who's on the little bass on the back? Is that Ben on the bass? You know, you know me. Be- Benny bass. <laughs> bass Ben. That's what they call him. <laughs> Absolute crock of rubbish, though. <laughs> oh, what, the whole podcast? Yeah, sure. Right. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. good, good summary. Which is ironic, considering it's probably a good way to end off the podcast where we're recording on Wednesday 1st of December, um, which is the time where Spotify's uh, Wrapped comes through every year. Um, and we've had some wonderful people step forward and say that we were their most listened to podcast this year. So thank you to all of you. And if we were any lower than second for you... We don't care about you. Um, yeah, pretty an Xbox user. That, that is the mentality. I, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> Anyone who has listened to even a minute of us this year, we are massively appreciative. I mean, Thank what's baffling me is we're, we're listened to in over 75 countries worldwide, and there are now literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of you every single month. It is bizarre. So blows our minds because we don't even listen to us. I don't listen to the other two. Um no. So thanks for listening to all three of us. Appreciate it. At one point, yeah. I did my own Spotify rap, and I came up late breaking up as my most listened to podcast. Obviously, <laughs> why wouldn't it? And it said at the start, "Don't you just feel like your favourite podcast host could be one of your family members?" And I thought, "There's no way any of you are sat there thinking that any three of us should be your family members. God, that is a ridiculous concept. Even my and family members don't want them to think that." I, we've got to give a a, a, a a shout out to Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen because. They give you other info on this, you know, Spotify podcast, the rap thing. And it was our most popular podcast of the year has been when those two, when Verstappen landed on his head, basically. And it was, and it was listened to in 46 countries. So first, first people to listen to it were, were you lovely Australian people? Um, thank you. So thank you. We love right. you very much, and we're happily come. I wasn't actually on that really podcast, good. by the way, so I don't want that to be, reflect anything. That's very but. true. 
So, and to clarify, we are saying that our success is dictated by when Harry is here or not. We are not saying <laughs> so our success is dictated by if Verstappen is on his head or not. We are not. We are not saying that should be a regular thing, Max. Please don't. As much as I'm sure he wants the podcast to succeed. <laughs> God, the volume. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, we better save some of this for uh, the review on Sunday when we're back again. So, Sam, if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here. Folks, let us know what you think of the Jeddah circuit that we're going to this weekend. Go and watch analytics video. Have a go. Slag me off. It's good fun. Those guys love to do it. Um, and let's, of course, what, you know, on a serious note, what were your favourite Williams moments through history? What, what made you think of Sir Frank? What did you love about him? We'd love to hear about it over on Twitter in our Discord. Please get in touch. You know, we'll always happily chat to you more about it. Um, the Discord link is down in the description, as always. As is the Patreon link, if you do want to support us a little bit more than just listening, we do massively appreciate absolutely anything. Um, and we are so excited for the Grand Prix. It could be the championship decider. The hype is massively building, and we will be back on Sunday for the review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. If it goes ahead, who knows what's going to happen. In the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. I've been Ben Hawking. I've been Sakon Yamamoto. And remember, <laughs> keep breaking late. Got to put my scare away now. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.